Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah. about to be broken and words are about to be spoken it is episode four of the extreme life of matt hardy and we are broadcasting from the blue chew studios try blue chew free when you use our promo code hardy at checkout just pay five dollars shipping i of course john alba joined alongside the man of the hour every single week here on the extreme life of matt hardy mr matt hardy how are you buddy very good. How are you, John? You had an insane week. I had an absolutely insane week between weather and driving and shows and just ran into unexpected people everywhere around the, each and every turn. So yeah, it, it was fun. It was uh, it was an adventure and that makes life. Deleting snow would be a positive thing that could happen if at all possible, because you got stuck <laughs> driving from AW Rampage back yes. home in a snowstorm and then you had to go from North Carolina to South Carolina for a big time wrestling show, which had freaking FTR versus the rock and roll express that I saw even edge tweeted about. He had to be there. How cool was that show? It was very cool. It was a lot of fun. And I was just going to say, first and foremost, I knew I had that booking on a Saturday and I was worried about my flight getting delayed from Washington, D.C. And it's about a four and a half hour drive from the Hardy Compound to Washington, D.C. I killed it when I did it on Tuesday night. And then I got out as soon as I was finished. I got out of the venue, started driving home and I hit the snow between Richmond, Virginia and the North Carolina border. So where I would have been home at typically 1.30 a.m., I got home about five o'clock a.m. because I just had to go slow, slow, slow. <laughs> there were salt trucks everywhere and just the roads were like nearly undrivable. And I was doing it in a Corvette which isn't an SUV, although I made a joke that it's an SUV Corvette. <laughs> so I got in, I uh, slept for three hours. All of the baby Hardy boys pounced on me. They jumped on me. Oh my God, Dada, it's snow. Let's go outside and play. Yay. <laughs> so uh, with little or no sleep, I was up and I was playing with my kids, building snowmen and whatnot. And then uh, a few hours later, I headed down to Spartanburg, South Carolina, which is a three hour drive from here. And it was still, um, it was a little snowy, but not bad. Once I got to the Charlotte area, I got there and 
lo and behold, uh, as soon as I was saying hello to FTR and talking to those guys, there was someone wearing this hat that was pulled down low and he, he had a, a face mask on and a big ass beard. And he's like, Hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? You doing all right? I said, oh, yeah, man. Good to see you. Nice to meet you. And then he, all of a sudden he said, yeah, 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 yeah. And that is what edge and Christian constantly do to me because when they came to our house, when we first started uh, on the road together, they met our dad and they saw our dad call our dogs. That's the, that's the dog call he used. Yeah. 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 So that's a constant with Adam and Jay, whenever I talked to him and he was there and he came down to check out revival and just say hello to everybody. So I watched the match between FDR and the rock and roll express right beside Adam. And we were just, we, we were bereaving that there aren't crowds like that now at AEW events and WWE events. They're almost too smart for their own good. These people were just there to have fun, have a good time. And like Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson killed it. You know, Ricky Morton was in there doing hurricanas. Robert, Robert Gibson was in there doing the deal where he'd grab a headlock, backdrop the guy, and then he'd come back and do the head scissors over. They had like a 25 minute match and they killed it, man. It was so, so fun to watch. Well, crowd, crowd was red hot from start to finish that night. Today's episode is about someone from that era of the Rock and Roll Express, Mr. Yes. Michael P.S. Hayes of the fabulous Freebirds himself. But before we get into that, you went a little viral based on our last episode, Matt. Um, yes. I knew the moment that you told the story on last week's show that <laughs> people were going to be all over this. And the reality is... You're an ass man, I guess. <laughs> and uh, well, I'm not Billy Gunn, but you know, no, you're not. I, I was okay with uh, the stink face, as as terrible as that may seem to some people. It really was delightful. <laughs> <laughs> and hey, Rikishi put over the podcast too, so that's uh, yeah, always man. cool. See, R- Rikishi was cool, man. He was he was one of the uh, one of the one of the day ones since we were there. He was always cool to us from the very first time we met him, and uh, lots of love for Rikishi, man. Lots of love for Rikishi and his kids. Hashtag baby powder was something <laughs> that we're gonna roll with here. And you can see if you're watching the show on YouTube, Matt Hardy brand. Matt is sporting his fantastic Extreme Life of Matt Hardy T-shirt. Let me he went with just a little bit. There it is. Gimmicks.com. Go check that out. Looks like it fits real nice. I can appreciate oh, it's, that. Uh, it's elegant. 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 Yes. Love it. It's an elegant uh, shirt. <laughs> I'm I'm really looking forward to getting my hands on mine. They're awaiting at my other place of residence. And you can check that out, boxofgimmicks.com. And if you haven't had a chance yet, Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you get your podcast, five freaking stars. Leave that review for the extreme life of Matt Hardy. I love, Matt, that we keep getting them every single week. I love seeing these tweets, five stars, reviews. It's yes. good stuff. Nonstop. Yes, I love seeing it. And, and it's like a, a snowball. We started very small and we're getting a little bigger as we continue to roll down that hill and we're building momentum. Several people in Spartanburg, uh, they came through, said they had checked out the podcast and they really loved it. And they said it felt different than any other wrestling podcast that they listened to, which was a huge compliment. And I was very proud of that. Absolutely. Any bow tie notes that you'd like to put on the Royal Rumble 2000 episode from last week that maybe as you had a couple extra days to think about it? I'm just I'm proud of how it came off. I'm very proud of that match. And I'm also proud of the story, uh, you know, that I shared with that match that all four of us decided, even being young guys in our career, that, man, let's go ahead and do our stuff. We have an opportunity to be stars. Let's not water that down at all. Let's burn through it and do it all. And I'm so happy that we made that decision. 
Well, if you haven't had a chance, go check it out in the archives. My favorite tweet we got all week was someone saying that they didn't expect to start their morning with Matt Hardy selling them dick pills. So that was definitely (laughs) a way to start your morning. And you can start your morning right with Blue Chew, which, again, use promo code Hardy and you'll get some money off your order. I guess you can make sure your own little Jimmy is woken. Man, that is... Your gimmick lends so much to Blue Chew. They 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 should be paying us quadruple. I'll tell you that. I can't wait to see what we'll have over the years. So, Matt, we're talking Michael Hayes, someone who has been in and out of your career over the last 30 years in a variety of different roles. And this was a no-brainer for me when I was coming up through the topic list. So with episode four, it means it's time for our fourth ever Matt Fact here on the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. What do we got, my friend? Matt fact, Matt was a much better wrestler than Michael Hayes at age 41. Ouch. That's a little bit of a rib there. How how do you think once he hears that, what do you think his reception will be? Oh, he he would totally agree with it. (laughs) He would totally agree with it. (laughs) Well, he has dealt with a ton of injuries over the course of his career. You've dealt with a ton of injuries over the course of your career as well. Yeah. You know what? Even when he, which we'll talk about later in the podcast, obviously, when he did those couple of matches, you know, with us as uh, the Hardy Boys after we'd been rebranded, you know, and uh, repurposed, so to say, and that we're going to start utilizing us in a better capacity. Uh, Michael, like, really wasn't supposed to wrestle anymore. You know, he had a back surgery and like, really, they told him, like, don't ever wrestle again. And he was still out there giving it his all, man. He, he busted his ass and he, he he did the best that he physically could in that environment, for sure. And I uh, have a huge respect for him for doing that. Well, Michael Hayes started wrestling in 1977. He's a product of the Tennessee regional promotions, the Jarrett's, all that good stuff there going on in Tennessee wrestling. Uh, That is all awesome stuff that if you've never done a deep dive on, so much history going on there. Uh, And in 1979, he's wrestling for Mid-South. And at the suggestion of Bill Watts, formed a tag team with a man named Terry Gordy, and they would go on to become the fabulous Freebirds. Along the way, Michael P.S. Hayes, of course, purely sexy, would also join up with Buddy Jack Roberts and Jimmy Garvin, and we would see different incarnations of the fabulous Freebirds. What was your first introduction to Michael Hayes on television or in person? I'll be honest. We here in North Carolina, uh, we got very little world class, but sometimes we would be able to catch it on television. I remember seeing the Freebirds there. But what really hooked me and sold me on the Freebirds were the version of Michael P.S. Hayes and Jimmy Garvin. The first character that I ever did when I started bouncing around on the trampoline, when myself and my brother started play wrestling uh, in the TWF, I was so inspired to do high voltage. Uh, the Freebirds were a huge part of it, where they would come down and Michael would jump into the ring and they would point to each other. <clears throat> I would do that in my entrance. I mean, and that came... From those guys. And I would talk in my promos a lot like those guys. Yeah, yeah. You stupid, sinking, sorry, sniveling, silly, sassy, pitiful, pathetic, lousy. A lot of that came from the Freebirds, too, from their promos as well. I loved that version of the Freebirds, Michael Hayes and Jimmy Garvin. And I'm going to say this. That's my favorite. But it made me go back and watch the original Freebirds. And the way that Michael and Terry and Buddy, the way they got heat and, and the kind of momentum they had in Texas against the Bonaires was incredible. I mean, that was truly trailblazing stuff. So you didn't really have a whole lot of familiarity with the stuff done in Tennessee at that point? 
I did not. I didn't have I didn't have any familiarity with that because too, like I, I became like a, a diehard wrestling fan towards like the second half of the 80s. So like when Michael was doing that stuff in Tennessee, like I wasn't even like tuned into wrestling. I was all about baseball. Then that was my, that was myself and my brother's love earlier on. And we wanted to be pro baseball players until we discovered this insane world of pro wrestling. Have you gone back in time and in hindsight and watched any stuff that he did in Tennessee in the early days of the Freebirds as he was kind of finding himself? Uh, I've seen bits and pieces. I've seen clips. Uh, I I've never done a deep dive into it. And, and I think that would be something uh, interesting to do in the future. Maybe that could be a fun watch along here on the extreme life of Matt. That would Hardy, be that would be diving in because there are those influences you've said on this podcast that the larger than life loud character is what you try to channel. So I imagine a lot of that comes from the likes of Michael Hayes. Absolutely. I mean, he he he's one of the guys. Like, and I think Michael would be the first to admit it. He's like, I'm not the most athletic. I wasn't the most graceful in the things I did. But like nobody could out talk me, you know, I could talk people into the building and I could talk people into being pissed off at me where they'd want to stab me or I could talk people into loving me and getting behind me and supporting me like his personality and his charisma was through the roof. There's never been any denying that. What makes someone of his era a great heel? Because you just said like all those different things, like you could talk someone into a building, you could talk someone out of a building. Uh-huh. What what characteristics, though? make someone from his era stand out so much that they become so influential for you? Well, I think in Michael Hayes' era, I think what made someone uh, a great heel is the fact that they were willing to commit a hundred percent to like pissing people off and making people angry at them. Uh, when you had the ability to do that, when you had no fear and, and back then when people really didn't have the knowledge of the business that they do now, when there were so many people, especially in the South that thought it was legit. If you would go out there and commit, to being an asshole where these people are going to want to stab you or kill you or choke you or strike you or hit you. That is what it took to be a good heel. I mean, you had to go out there and you had to relinquish your fear of being an asshole. And Michael certainly wasn't afraid to do that. That was right up his alley. He would, he would uh, relish in the fact that he could go out there and be an asshole and piss people off and make them make those people want to stab him. And that stuff happened all the time back in the day where people would attack the hills. But I also think when you look at some of the stuff with the Freebird, Bad Street, all that, he's kind of one of those first examples of a cool heel. You hated him, but there was an undeniable swagger about him at the same time. I mean, there there was. He, he's like cool. I mean, he he's a cool guy in general. He was like always, especially when he was in his prime at his age. Good looking dude who had an amazing game with the chicks, you know, so the guy's obviously like, oh, my God, like, I want to be cool like this dude, you know, and and he had all this stuff going for him. There was just no denying his charisma and that it factor that he had. But he was willing to, like, rub that in people's faces where, you know, he's the cool guy, but he would piss them off. And there was he would always find ways that you could turn things around. He has such a unique thought process he does even with putting the other matches as we'll talk about later but like even as far as being a a villain out there to making people dislike him even though you would be naturally you'd have a natural inclination to like think oh this guy's cool i dig him look at this moonwalk and look at this hair and look at this charisma he has but he's a real piece of shit you know he's like he's a piece of shit bad person and he he's he he would never be my friend he wouldn't even talk to me you know, like if we were friends in real life, because he'd think he's better than me. He knew how to he knew how to get that vibe over with people. So as you and Jeff are starting to dive further into the wrestling industry, 
are the free birds right at the top for you guys in terms of teams you're trying to draw influence from? You just mentioned when you're on the trampoline and everything, but beyond that, as you're starting to get a little more serious into that. With, with me, it was Jeff, not as much. Uh, Jeff was very much like uh, Sting was a huge inspiration of Jeff. That's why I painted his face. That's why I did initially own. I think Jeff was a lot more drawn to like uh, a Sting personality where I was a lot more drawn to Michael Hayes and Macho Man Randy Savage. Those are the two guys that I kind of patterned myself after in the beginning. So what what is the amazing irony that I got to work with Michael Hayes later on in my career? Very cool. Very cool. Well, in 1995, he gets a tryout match with WWE to return as a competitor after almost a decade away, but he soon retires due to the injuries you mentioned, and he becomes Doc Hendricks, the lovable announcer with a <laughs> trimmed ponytail because he had to clean up and look real nice on TV. Uh, what did you think of the Doc Hendricks character and knowing Michael, was this a good fit or a bad fit for him at the time? I mean, I was upset when WWF at the time changed him and they changed his name into Doc Hendricks because obviously Michael P.S. Hayes was one of my favorites. I wanted to do Michael Hayes while I was there. And I, th I think for him, it was a little it was a huge adjustment for him not to be uh, a wrestling personality and be more like a, a of a broadcaster or interviewer as he was doing. And they wanted him to cut his hair for so, so such a long time. And I know he fought it and he fought and he fought it. And eventually it ended up happening, but it, it, it just, it upset me that he was Doc Hendricks and not Michael Hayes. And even me as a you know young kid getting in the wrestling business at that time, I was like, why would WWE take away Michael P.S. Hayes? So many people know him as that name and they, they love him as that name. But once again, it's the WWE style of branding where they want to own whatever their character is. Knowing Vince over the years, obviously you don't know what Vince was thinking at the time, but you've brought up on the show how Matt... Matt Hardy became a producer in Vince's mind by the end of his run there. So right. you think he looked at Michael Hayes as like too old or maybe in some other capacity that he's like, I got to give him a full rebrand. With, without a doubt. I mean, especially for being a wrestler, you know, I'm sure he looked at him as too old. You know, I, I almost feel like in those days, Vince was probably like, once someone turns 40, they're done. You know, so that stuff that has changed a lot in the industry in this day and age, which is great. But, you know, definitely then I'm sure he did. And he probably wanted to stray as far away from the Freebird persona as he totally could and rebrand Michael Hayes as this Doc, Doc Hendricks character. So you've established that Michael Hayes is someone you grew up watching and admiring. When is your first in-person interaction with him? When we were going around doing televisions and we were extras doing enhancement work, I remember meeting him a few times there, speaking to him, and they were all pleasant exchanges, but we never never got to know him well. The first time that I really remember a big meeting with Michael Hayes, uh, once we went under contract in 1998, um, in 1999, uh, I, I don't know whose idea this was initially, but Michael, they had decided they were going to put Michael with myself and Jeff. And they they wanted to do something with us. They knew they had to, you know, kind of rebrand us, give us a restart, a bit of a makeover to really utilize the Hardy Boys to their maximum potential. Because even though we had been doing TV uh, as extras and putting people over, once we got signed, you know, we beat, you know, we beat Kai and Ty. We beat Too Cool. You know, a few matches later, we beat the the LOD 2000 of Animal and um, and draws when he was doing that. So we would get wins every so often, but still like our job was just kind of getting established and still making teams look good. And once they 
were deciding that we're going to pull the trigger and put some momentum behind myself and Jeff, the idea came to be that they were going to put Michael Hayes with us and let him talk with us, which we could definitely, we did, we needed at that time and also learn from him. I remember at WrestleMania 15, they were just getting ready to put down the cage because there was a hell in a cell that night. If I'm this not mistaken, 19, this is 1999. That was the hell in a yes. cell. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. WrestleMania 15, 1999, the hell in a cell. And if I'm not mistaken, it was Undertaker versus Big Boss Man. Correct. On that card. So they were just getting ready to put the uh, the hell in a cell down as they were going to rehearse something. And I remember myself and Jeff were at ringside and we'd left. We were doing the tag team uh, match that night on heat. And Michael said, Hey, let me, let me talk to you guys for a minute. And he sat down and he said, Hey, I just want to tell you guys, um, they're going to put me with you guys and we're going to do something new. Um, I think it's going to be really cool. Like, I want you guys to start thinking about it. I'm super excited for this. You know, like I've been wanting to like be a manager on our personality for a while. So I'm really excited to work with you guys. I think there's a ton of things we can do and I want you guys to start thinking about it. And uh, I, th- I think we can be great. I think this can be like uh, another free bird site deal, you know, with the three of us, you know, with Matt Hardy, Jeff Hardy and Michael Hayes. So that was our first time we really sat down and talked with him. And I remember like, whoa, this is so cool that he like opened up and, and told us that because at that time we were never privy to really inside information. So he actually hooked us up and told us we we're going to be doing that, start thinking about it and start getting ready for it. We've all heard the saying, right? New year, new me. Sometimes you set your resolution high, like maybe buying a new car or a new house. Others... They just want to try to eat healthy. So I'm here to tell you about a great way that you can do that. I'm, of course, talking about Magic Spoon. You see, growing up, cereal was one of the best parts of being a kid, but I knew that I kind of had to give all that up when I realized how much sugar and junk that you really shouldn't be putting into your body. Here's the good news. Magic Spoon changes the game in that regard. Zero grams of sugar. 13 to 14 grams of protein and only four net grams of carbs in each serving it's only 140 calories per serving as well and i know we're about all the trends it's keto friendly gluten-free grain-free soy-free and low carb beauty is it also comes in a variety pack if you want four flavors cocoa fruity frosted and peanut butter it's all summoning to those great foods of your youth It tastes exactly like it, but it's super nutritious. All you got to do to get your hands on this stuff, go to magicspoon.com forward slash hardy to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code hardy at checkout. You get to save $5 off of your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in its product that it's all backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash hardy and use the code hardy to save $5 off. And we thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode. And on the last number, 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Christmas is finally behind us, but are you dreading those credit card bills headed your way? Well, here's a pro tip. Don't get stuck making minimum payments in the new year. Savewithconrad.com can help you get rid of your credit card debt just like that. Oh, and we're going to get you the best deal on a mortgage you've ever had. But how's this for starters? No payments until March. You don't need money out of your pocket or perfect credit. So find out how much money you can save for free right now at Savewithconrad.com. At the time, was Michael pretty much strictly an on-air talent or was he slowly starting to weave his way into the 
backstage role because when we talk about this episode, it's kind of a twofold thing. There's the mm-hmm. run you had with him, and then there's all right. the creative and everything he did after that. Yeah, I, at, at this time, Michael was pretty was pretty much just an on air personality, uh, being an interviewer and a broadcaster. That is that is all he did, and I think still. It was still in his mind. He's like, I still have something to offer as a talent, like as a manager and as a personality. And he damn sure did. I mean, he is an entertaining son of a bitch, man. He has so much personality, so much charisma. And it's like, even if he's saying, if he's insulting you and and saying things to you, like cracking on you, you still want to like him. He's just such a likable guy. He's just, he has so much charisma when he does that stuff. He's just so fun to be around. One of the most interesting people that I've ever met in my life. And one of the, one of the smartest when it comes to pro wrestling. Did it seep its way into your mind at that point that there's a chance that he could potentially wrestle alongside you guys at that point? Or was it still not in your mind at all? I didn't I didn't expect that. I knew that he'd had back surgery. I knew he had major back problems. And I really just expected him to be someone who was going to mentor us. And someone who was going to talk for us, which we really needed, you know, like we, we had never worked for a lot of independent promotions where we really, where we spoke and did promos. We just kind of did that on our own. So it was nice to be around someone who was a master at it and he could teach us and and help us. Okay. So I asked that question because this is first quarter, 1999, you mentioned WrestleMania. So it's established at this point, late March, early April, there are some long-term plans here. Mm-hmm. Who was doing creative for this at the time? Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara were still there. You said on episode one that you were working with Ed Ferrara uh, quite a bit on some of your stuff. So you guys are signed talent here. It seems like they're going to put a little momentum by you. Who are you working with and who's giving that directive with Michael working with you guys? Uh, Vince Russo did do some of that. So that was definitely, you know, one, one of their babies, I think that they had, uh, you know, like stepped up to do, but obviously Vince approved it at the end of the day, Vince, Vince McMahon approved it, but Vince Russo did help out with that a lot. And I know he worked with us initially, especially the very first incident where, you know, Michael did the bloodbath and then we ended up bloodbathing the brood in return. So that was definitely a Vince Russo thing. Do you think Vince Russo had an understanding of what Michael Hayes could offer you guys? Vince Russo, uh, well-versed in in wrestling, growing up in that era, was doing the magazine writing. It's not like he was a stranger to the industry. He does get the reputation of being a TV drama writer and reality show style guy, but he does have wrestling knowledge. Do you think he was aware of what Michael could offer you guys? I think so. I I think Vince Russo realized like our biggest weakness at that time was like from a personality perspective and so our speaking abilities, you know, so I think he realized like Michael accelerated in both of those things. So considering Michael was going to be put with us, we had, you know, this incredible amount of just like unpolished, you know, unadulterated talent. Athletically, we could do anything at that time. We just needed someone to really help, you know, help us build upon our personalities and our speaking abilities. Did you know that or were you stubborn at all to it? Yeah, we knew that. Uh, I, I I think I understood it for sure. I feel like Jeff's always had that natural charisma. It was just once again, kind of like, you know, really focusing everything, you know, and like finding the right personality that, that that fits with you. And it was hard for us because we were also swimming upstream because we had this mentality about us that like these are the hardy boys you know they've done tv for many many years you know they just kind of like people beat them 
you know, they make people look good, but people beat them. So we had to do something to kind of like reset all of that and like have a fresh start. So that's why I think the, the, uh, the revamp we had with Michael was perfect for us. There are a lot of parallels between your guys' career and the Usos. I say it all the time. The Usos were just helpful hands who could always go in there and do a good job, put on a good match. And then they had their match at Money in the Bank 2013, and it all just like clicked in the momentum and the momentum and the momentum. So it's interesting to hear you say that you you recognize that you guys were kind of in that position where you could be depended on, but you weren't quite ready to break out just yet. So Michael Hayes is going to be the guy to help you do that. And it starts April 29th, 1999, SmackDown. Doc Hendricks is interviewing the Brood. This is the Brood's kind of first real time doing a live promo in front of the audience. I'm not going to lie to you. I watched it last night. It was kind of awkward. The crowd wasn't really invested in it. Gangrel was stuttering on some of his lines. Hayes says that the, or Doc Hendricks, I should say, says that the vampire stuff is just a gimmick. And Gangrel says, well, Doc Hendricks is the one that's lost. And they call him Michael. The lights go out. And what do you know? He's covered in blood. So at this point, you knew April 29th that you were going to be the guys that were going to be paired with him. Correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, and and I, I remember that segment. And I remember that promo, too. I mean, once again, um, Edge and Christian also still knew. And that was a new experience to them, new territory to them, you know, doing an in-ring live promo. And I remember that promo being a little, you know, a little awkward in some ways. And, and it's it's funny because I remember how good Michael Hayes was. He was very you know, good in his interview style and and you know just his personality there. He he really stood out. Was like, well, this guy's very special. And then after they did the bloodbath, we knew where it was going. After that, that we were going to gotcha. turn around and we were going to get revenge for Michael Hayes. Gotcha. Now, Michael is called Michael here, even though he's Doc Hendricks. And it's kind of one of the first times we're seeing that breaking of the fourth wall, that wink and a nod sort of thing <laughs> yeah. in this era. Was that something that was a little controversial or should we tread in that territory? No, I, I, it, it may have been. I mean, it was like the changing of the business and the changing of the industry. Industry, You know, like as we'd open up the doors of Fabe and like willingly let fans in, there were things that were starting to do that time with different documentaries and pieces and the way they approach stuff from a business aspect. And I feel like to have Michael with us in our corner as a wrestler, I, and I, I felt like it was brilliant to call Michael Hayes as opposed to Doc, Doc Hendricks because there's so much equity in the name of Michael P.S. Hayes. And I was like, give us all the equity we can possibly have because we're, we're going to need this and we really want to kick ass and, and make the most of this, you know, this rebranding we're having. So a couple of weeks later, May 16th, 1999, Michael Hayes gets in the brood's face. The lights go out and all of a sudden the brood is covered in blood. As you said, they, they are just drenched in red. The lights are up and you both appear at the top of the entrance. You and Jeff, that is. And Michael's standing between you guys. It's the new attitude Hardy boys, as Michael Cole says. And you guys have a new look. Who came up with this new look for you guys? And was it something that you had to find a synergy with Michael with? Well, I do know that very first time that we showed up, I remember what I was wearing. I had on jeans and I had on this black. I loved corduroy uh, jackets, light, light corduroy jackets at the time, a black corduroy jacket, which just barely zipped. My chest was out. But the, the biggest thing we did was had all our hair wet and combed down our face. And that was like what we we're going to try and, and push 
as far as the rebranding, because I feel like the majority of the time when Jeff and I wrestled in the Hardy Boys tights, you know, you would, you would see our hair back uh, and typically in a ponytail. Sometimes it would be down, but typically it was in a ponytail. So we were going to have our hair combed in our faces as much as possible. And we didn't wear the iconic Hardy Boys kickwear pants and T. Raleigh shirts on that appearance. It was actually the six man is where he first broke out that look. Did you guys feel like there was a conscious change being made to the tag division at this time? You're not the only ones that are getting a, a, a facelift, if you will. Too much is about to become too cool. Edge and Christian's look is about to change. It feels like to me as a fan that someone, whether it was Vince McMahon, Vince Russo, Ed Farrar, whoever it may have been, was like, all right, it's time to change the way we present our tag teams a little bit. I feel like at that time, the top acts of the Stone Colds and the Rocks and the Mick Foley's and the DX's were so over and just those angles were clicking on all levels. I feel like they actually decided to dedicate more time to the undercard and that included the tag team division. And I think that's why they ended up trying to do more stories with everyone else. And one thing I will always give Vince Russo credit for, Vince Russo really worked his ass off to make sure everyone was in some sort of storyline, that everyone had a story. And I felt like that was a, something that really stood out about the Attitude Era. The match quality may not have always been great, like the match qualities are nowadays, but most everyone had some sort of story or some sort of uh, issue that kind of kept them in a story on TV that made sense, I feel like. Did you guys come up with that presentation on your own or was there advisement from someone else? Which uh, presentation? The, the one, once you find your group group what like, we're doing like, like what you and michael are gonna yep. look like together well that, that's uh here's a good story i'll tell you before we did the six-man tag which ended up being our first match uh which michael hayes did that 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 match actually happened earlier than it was supposed to we thought we had another week before we were going to have a match and michael found out he was doing it and we went from the road and he's like oh we we have to go shopping we have to get new gear because we're definitely going to wear something new. And we knew we were like doing this makeover. We were rebranding ourselves. He said, so I was thinking guys, let's go shopping right now before we go to this live event. And what, what we can do is get us maybe, you know, like, I, I don't know, maybe we can rock it like the free birds. It'd look good on you guys since you wore tights before. Like if we get some blue jeans, maybe some belts with some big ass belt buckles. I don't know. Do you guys want to wear cowboy boots? You, you are working cowboy boots. Can you do that? Or maybe we should get something like that. Maybe like some flannels. We just need to get a totally different look. So we look completely different than you guys used to. Does that sound good? Jeff said, yeah, man, like that sounds good. But like, what if, what if we kind of like update it? So it's more like 1999-ish. Does that sound cool? And he's like, all right, man, I'm, I'm cool with that. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's go shopping. And then we went shopping and uh, we went to a Gadzooks. And this Gadzooks, we were looking through stuff <laughs> and so we found kickboard. So 1999. And in Gadzooks, which that was a, a spot where Jeff and I would sometimes buy clothes as it was that we wear currently. And then uh, we we found these kickwear pants and we said, what if we wore these pants? And he's like, I, I don't know. I, that's kind of that's kind of weird. You know, like big, I don't really like wrestling pants. I was like, well, they'd be comfortable. We could still wear our wrestling boots, wrestling boots underneath it. But if we wore these kickwear pants, they would be pretty good. And we looked around and they had some tight shirts. Later, we called them T. Riley shirts because there was a company named T. Riley that actually sponsored us from Pittsburgh and sent us just box loads of those tight shirts. They had some tight shirt shirts with the little tribal bands on the arms and they were black. And we like went and got these clothes. And um, I, I'll never forget this. I remember it so vividly. Myself and Jeff, uh, we got these kickwear pants. We got the tight black shirts. We went into the dressing room at Gadzooks and we came out and we asked Mike, we're like, what do you think? How does this look? 
you know, does it look good? He said, he said, damn it. He said, we might have something there. This looks good. And he said, y'all got my size. Y'all got my size. And we were like shocked. He's like, oh my God, he's going to like commit to the gig. And he went, and I remember he went and got a pair of kickwear pants and he got a tight shirt just like us. And then he went in the dressing room and changed. I remember he came out and he had his, his belt was hiked up so high on his stomach. Like ours were low. We we're like these young kids all in shape. And I remember he came out and it was, he's just, Hey guys, how's it look? How's it look? I said, there. I said, we're down. Michael, I said, you look great. Let's rock and roll. We got it. We got our new look. So kickwear pants and a, and a uh, skin tight shirt was our new look going forward. Hair combed in the face. And he was in good shape at the time too. He certainly, as we know, is someone who's not afraid to wear uh, any <laughs> extravagant styling of suit or gear or whatever it may be. Uh, over the years, I'm sure you encountered similar situations. Were there any other suggestions onto maybe add more pomp and circumstances to your appearance at all? No, I mean, that, we were kind of left to the side, but I think the people in charge, uh, you know, trusted Michael to make sure that we had a different look. And and he was cool with what we did. He was always open. And and I'll also say this, uh, kudos to Michael, because he trained his ass off in that town because he knew he was going to be our manager, be back on TV, and he wanted to look as good as, as, as he possibly could. And uh, one, one, thing I, one thing I do have to say about him is he was just like so into it and like, one of the first things he said when we were going to work together, he said, all right, guys, this is how it's going to be. You know, he said, we're going to, we're going to approach this thing like myself, Buddy and Terry did. He said, this is my second run, you know, like as the free birds, we're going to be together. He said, hopefully it lasts for a very long time. He said, but this is what we do. He said, he said, as uh, this team, whatever our team ends up being called, he says, we travel together as a family. We fucking break bread together. We hang together. We stay in the same hotel room together. We'll hill rooms. We'll talk strategies. We go down the road. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll check into a hotel room, get a double bed. And you and your brother, you can alternate every other night. One of you sleeping on a cot. It's going to be a fun ride, though. I look forward to doing this. I think this is this is going to be a, a great run. We're going to do it just like me and the birds did. So that was kind of his mentality doing it. And we're like, OK, this is so cool. Like, you know, just learning from Michael Hayes. You know, one of the guys that was one of my favorites growing up, this is going to be so cool. And it was a very interesting deal once we actually got on the road with him because it was a, a quite a different experience than we were used to. Was Michael Hayes an easy roommate? Uh, well, I'll tell you the whole thing with Michael Hayes. Once we started working and we were traveling together now, you know, we were going to break bread together. We were going to travel together. We were in the same rental car. We we're going to talk, talk shop as we drove down the road over hundreds of miles. I'll never forget the very first time that we left. And he said, all right. He said, what do you guys want to do? He said, uh, before we get to the next town, he said, you want to get some food to go? I said, oh, we'd like to kind of stop and grab something. And he said, all right, well, I'm okay with that. And we stopped at the Cracker Barrel. And uh, that was, you know, it's a very famous spot. Wrestlers love Cracker Barrel. You can eat healthy there and it's still pretty good. And then I remember he went in Cracker Barrel and we ordered and he was looking through the menu. He said, where's the fucking drinks? Where's the drinks at? And I said, oh, well, that's one thing about Cracker Barrel. They don't they don't serve alcohol at all. And he's like, you know, Jeff and I, we didn't drink at this point. You've we never had a beer kids. at this point. No, we we were good kids. We we didn't cuss. We didn't drink. We didn't smoke. We didn't do drugs. We used to be good kids until this damn wrestling business messes up. So Michael was in there and he said, this is wrong. There's no bar here. They don't have any alcohol. I said, all right, there's a new rule starting today. The only places we can stop if we decide to eat on the way out of the town is a place that has the damn bar. You got it? 
Okay, we got it, Michael. So that was it. You know, it, it was once we would get there, there would be times where, you know, we'd get in the room and hang out and, and he was fine. He would always talk, talk shop and we learned so much from him. And he would always talk about when we worked on the road, like, well, this was good and this was bad. I think we could approve upon these things whenever we, you know, do this and like, let's seem like more of a team whenever we do our entrance. You know, he would try and coordinate things and really, he really understood how to make us seem like a unit. And that's where I, I learned a lot of that. I was like a sponge and was trying to soak up all of that. And I think it's worth noting too, there's a good 15 year or so age difference between you and him, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if, if memory serves me right, I, I think so. Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. But it, it, it was it was one of those things. I mean, we, we were totally from two different generations. You know, the generation he came from, it was insanity. You know, we saw the very end of that Wild West period during the Attitude Era when we were first breaking into the business. He lived, he was the Wild West era of this business. You know, like, it's just, it's amazing those guys, the Freebirds weren't in jail for the rest of their lives. You know, we're like some of the things that they've said and, and done and just some of the stories I've heard from these guys and, and just wrestlers in, in the old timey days. It's amazing those guys aren't all in jail or locked up. Have you noticed over the years, and, and I'm, I want to get us back on track, but this is a really good point you're bringing up. Have you noticed a change in Michael over the years in adapting with the times? You know, he's coming out, he's got Confederate flag and everything. And I mean, we've heard the accusations in the past of uh, some of the overtures. There's the Mark Henry situation, all that. Have you noticed a change in him as the times have changed in how he handles himself? Yeah, no, I mean, Michael, Michael has, he has changed as times have changed. I mean, you you have to, especially if you're going to, to survive in this business. And it's so funny. A lot of things Michael would say, and he says this all the time, like he, he grew up in like black neighborhoods, you know, so he actually talks a lot of slang, almost like a black person would, you know, so my, Michael's a good guy. There's, there's, there's no issues with him when it comes to that. But as far as the way he presents himself and the things he says and does, he has definitely changed a long time as long as society has. I, was, I just found that very interesting because you're right. There's such a big generational divide Huge. there and it's really fascinating. And he, you know, he's from the South, Georgia and all that. So interesting to look into. So you let, guys me even, got let me even hit this. One of the first times we got to a hotel after we were starting to ride together, we were in a hotel and, uh, We'd been driving for a couple hundred miles and everybody, you know how it is if you're on a long car trip and you're like, oh my God, I have to pee so bad. I can't wait till we get to the bathroom. Oh my God, I have to pee so bad. So we were all kind of, you know, at that point and we're going out and we go into the bathroom and I, I, I am the first one in and I use the bathroom and I can go back and then uh, Michael and my brother's there and I'm getting ready to go back and check in. And I remember Michael, we had stopped at a restaurant where there was a bar. So he was able to drink while he was there and he was feeling pretty good. He was in a, a pretty good mood, obviously. And Jeff was in the stall beside him and he was getting ready to, to pee in a urine. And he's like, Hey, Matt, wait, wait, don't go yet. Watch this, watch this. And he, and he held his penis. He like grabbed it and he held it real tight. And Oh my God, the, it got huge. The top of it. And then he like, let it go. And he shot pee all the way over the stall. Like getting to where Jeff was. It was like, ah, screaming around out. And it was just, that was like a constant rib. The Freebirds did that to each other all the time. And he said, I just got, I got to break you guys in. This is something that the, the birds would always do. The birds would always do this. I'm telling you, when I heard those stories about the fabulous Freebird and the things that the fabulous Freebirds and what they do, they were insane. But that was one of our first, you know, oh my God, it's so great. We're on the road with our role model. Like, it was one of our first experiences with Michael. It was so, so funny. 
I I think the reason I laughed so hard at that, other than thinking of a stream of urine just shooting over a stall, is what your face probably looked like in that moment. Yeah, it was like this. <laughs> what was Jeff's reaction to that? I was innocent. Hey, man! Wow. He's like, oh! <laughs> you know, what was that? I think Jeff thought it was something coming out of the ceiling. You know, it was it was insane, man. Oh it was crazy. Goodness. That that was like one, one of his tricks from the old days, I guess. You so, know, he'd squeeze his penis so hard to the top of it would look like a fist. It was insane. So he's telling and, then, then it, and then it would just explode. <laughs> it was one of Michael's, I, you know, I, I think he's grown out of that now. You know, he's finally matured. But yeah, that was one of our one of our first deals with Michael. So and then, you, this is something too, man. JBL, I, obviously. I just want to say real quick before you tell that story. Like people are going to be like, that sounds like so abusive or like whatever. Like, you know, when you're like living with guys and you're becoming family, it's like he's a family member at that point. When of you're, course. So it's a totally different dynamic at that point. Yeah. Well, no, it, it certainly it wasn't abusive. I mean, it was him like being. It's like uh, your uncle, Michael like, like, like your cousin, you know, it's like, of course, no. I mean, that, that was just him. That was joking, ribbing. That was like brothers ribbing one another is, yeah. is what it was. And and we did learn a lot of that as far as, you know, like what was accepted in those days and age. And once again, we were definitely going to respect him because he was, you know, a vet who was taking us under his wing. And, you know, like, dude, I'm just glad we didn't get like the uh, 70s and 80s version of Michael, because if right. that would have happened, we would probably be dead. Yeah. You know, so we had the we got the version of Michael that was tame in comparison. Yes. And we get to pick his pick his brain and, and learn so much. OK, so this JBL story. Tell me about it. So it, it, obviously we did the deal where we ended up winning the titles, which I'm sure we'll talk about from yes. the acolytes later on. And JBL during that time with Michael, he would see like, you know, he, he would see Michael, you know, talking to us, you know, we'd be going over psychology, you know, things we could work on improvements, whatever. And like, all right, let's go. And he knew that Michael had told us he wanted to ride together and we we're going to room together and we we're going to break bread together and do everything else. And after talking to JBL every so often, after we'd started working together, he knew like some of our stories with Michael on the road. And then this is something he would say over and over, you know, especially if there was ever somewhere we were working with those guys and like, you know, Michael said, no, come over here. I want to tell you this. Don't do that again or do this or do that or don't do that. He said, he said, Matt, when the Hardys turn on Michael Hayes, they will kill him. And he would tell people all around. He said, just wait, it's building up. When the Hardys turn on Michael Hayes, they will kill him. He would tell Ron that he would tell Godfather. He would tell anybody that listened, but that was like his constant thing. He's like, I know he's going to drive these. Michael Hayes is going to drive these kids crazy on the road with them, you know, but like lo and behold, man, it was, uh, we weren't with them that long, but it was, uh, it was a fun time looking back in hindsight. It was a lot of fun and we learned so much. All right, listen, we're all adults here. And I know some of us choose to use nicotine to relax, focus, or maybe even just unwind after a long day. Well, I'm here to tell you that Lucy is a modern oral nicotine company that makes nicotine gum, lozenges, and pouches for adults who are looking for the best, most responsible way to consume their nicotine. It's a new year, 2020, right? Finally here. But why not start it out by switching to a new nicotine product they can feel good about? Now, I've had many family members over the years who had struggles switching from cigarettes, and I wish they had a product like this that would have made the process so much easier with so much versatility and dynamics in terms of different flavors and options. So if you enjoy using nicotine, you should definitely check out Lucy's products at lucy.co. 
That's lucy.co and use promo code party at checkout. Also, I have to read this disclaimer. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Remember, if you're interested in a better way to use nicotine, visit lucy.co. Be sure to use that promo code party. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Hey, I want to take a moment and remind you that you're listening to this podcast as part of the Podcast Heat Network. Podcast Heat features shows from all around the spectrum, ranging from sports to wrestling to politics to lifestyle and everything in between. And it's the fastest growing podcast network in all the world. So why not join us and get in on some of the fun? You can learn how your business can be part of the extreme life of Matt Hardy by just logging on to podcastheat.com and click on the show. That's podcastheat.com. I still can't stop thinking about that story. That is an all-timer. That is, that is, and I mean, I've been ribbed before, but nothing like that. That is, wow, that's something. So you guys have this new presentation. I'm just going to say this up front, Matt. I, I absolutely fucking hated the music that they gave you guys, the Chase Manhattan. I thought it was the most generic, like, create a wrestler theme song ever. And I'm and so glad that they changed that. I'll, I'll tell you what, John, that was just like a temporary fix because like we actually, as I said, we had to go buy these outfits early because we weren't prepared. We were going to talk about it during the week. And then we had to go to Ed Zoo's, you know, quick, fast in a hurry and buy the kickwear pants and the tight shirt. So they also threw music on us too. I think that music was it. And they said, we'll find something else. Okay. But we did use that for several weeks as you know, and then ultimately we ended up finding, you know, the Hardy Boy music that became iconic with the Hardy Boys. So Michael Hayes is back in a WWF ring for the first time in a very long time. Six man tag with you guys against the brood. It is a double DQ. Like we said before, the matches weren't very long in this era. It was only about five minutes long, not a very long match. What was it like being part of a special match like that for him? Because this is his first time back in there in many years, and many people probably weren't thinking they'd ever see Michael Hayes wrestle again. I remember when we were putting the match together, the thing that we all really appreciated and learned from more than anything else was just like picking Michael's brain and in real time learning psychology with him. And if I'm not mistaken, there was a spot where Adam, who would have a guy on his shoulders back then, Edge would have a guy on his shoulders and he would like push the guy up and the guy would land flat in front of him. And I'm pretty sure he did that to myself and Jeff. And I want to say Michael came in to break it up and then he wanted Adam to turn around and he wanted Edge to hit him with that move as well, which was a pretty ambitious bump for him at that time. But I remember he's like, no, that's the best way to do it. If you're going to be a heel team and you know, you get two of the other guys like trying to stop the guy, turn around, have him give it to you to like really rub it in your face. And just even like that point, like I learned more from Michael Hayes than I have learned from anybody else in the pro wrestling business. I'll admit that. I remember one of the things he told me, he said like, you know, that poetry motion you guys do is really, really pretty where Jeff, you get down on all fours, Jeff jumps off your back and hits the guy in the corner. He said, you know, but like, I'll tell you, like, it's not all about being an athlete and being acrobatic. He said, because if the people in the front row 
it, if they don't believe that if they got in a fight with you, that they would automatically get their ass whipped, then you're not doing your job. That's very important. You have to physically look very aggressive. You have to be able to like throw strikes. You have to be able to throw blows. And the fans need to look at any wrestler they look in the ring, whether they could really beat you up or not. They have to think like, I don't want to fight this guy because he's going to win my ass. And right. that was something that just really resonated with me hearing that. And he said, what if you do that poetry in motion? And then after Jeff bounces off from giving him that leg layering in the corner, the guy comes out and Matt, you rip his head off with a clothesline. And then you get on top of him and you punch his face in. And that way you put some physicality on the the, the beauty and the grace of this, this poetry in motion move. And that's really for me when psychology started clicking, I feel like. I'm so glad you told that story because when I watch a lot of your matches after this, I, when I think of Matt Hardy, especially in singles matches, I think of like those rapid fire short punches that you do when you're heated. And it feels like that's some influence from something like that. Yeah. 100%. I mean, that, that is where Michael is really, he, he really embedded that in my mind that, you know, like you have, people have to believe that like mm-hmm. you're a badass if you're in that ring, you know, it's, it's not, Especially now, I feel like that's something that could really be stressed to younger guys because like wrestling has changed. It's a lot more acrobatic. It's a lot more athletic. But, you know, it's just really important at the end of the day that people look at you in the ring and they go like, holy shit, I I wouldn't want to fight this guy because I don't want to get my ass whipped because he is a badass. They have to have that kind of mentality about you to, to, to really to really get over, I think. Well, on June 13th, it's Sunday Night Heat. It's another six man tag. It's an elimination match. This match is absolutely insane. Do you do you remember this match specifically? I think so. Is that the one where Jeff jumped off my back and got speared by yes. Edge? Yes, okay. Edge was yeah, on did, a spear train on this match. So yes. that was is, once again, once again, the psychology that Michael had implemented and really, you know, embedded in our brains. You know, like if you're a hill, if you're the bad guy, and one of the baby faces does their move to a couple guys maybe give like a bit of a tease of a false finish. Like he's not going to get all three, but then turn around and give it to all three, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, I think that's what we did there as well. So you have a six man elimination tag in four minutes and 27 seconds and everybody <laughs> gets eliminated in this thing. So it is just fall after fall, after fall, after fall. Um, Welcome edging, to the attitude era, right? Edge and Gangrel are eliminated early. Christian gets Michael eliminated. Then he eliminates Jeff, and it's you and Christian. Too much reemerge with a new look that would lay the groundwork for them to become too cool. They toss you off the top onto the outside. You take a flip bump onto the concrete. And, oh, I, I do and remember that. That was that was that looked like it sucked. It did. It did suck. But I, thank God I was invincible, Matt Hardy, in that day and age. Yes. Uh, we've got a run in from King Maxwell here on the extreme life of Matt Hardy. Maxwell, oh, my God. Maxwell, oh, he's playing high and seek. So if you're watching on Matt Hardy, Brandon, oh, he's trying to hide behind you. So yeah. He, 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 King Maxwell, I'll tell you what, I've been watching a lot of uh, broken stuff in preparation for a special project we have. And right. he is the man. What do you want to say, King Maxwell? Is he got Maxwell, do you want to say something? Everybody say hello. I'm doing my podcast. Hi. All right. Will you let me finish, dude? Yeah. All right. Good run in, Maxwell. People love it on YouTube. I'll show it to you. Oh, absolutely. He's got the Jeff Hardy braids going, too. He does, yeah. His mom braided his hair for him yesterday. (laughs) All right. Bye. Um, So, too much is becoming too cool here. There's a lot going on. Is this muddling up the story that you're trying to tell 
with Michael and the brood and all that? Or are we just looking at the nature of the attitude era? Because that's what I feel like it is. Yeah, I think we were looking at the nature of the attitude era. And, and I think, once again, they were trying. We had kind of there was a little equity now in uh, the the Hardys and Edge and Christian. And I think they were trying to like, once again, kind of rebrand too cool and put them in this tag team mix as well. And it was also going to be uh, another opponent that we could work with. I think both teams could work with. So especially us, since they actually interfered when I was in the ring. King of the ring, 1999, you guys defeat the brood in a number one contenders match for the tag titles after Gangrel accidentally gives Edge the bloodbath out of his mouth. It's spitting all the, out of the chalice. So this lays the groundwork for their split while also giving you a little peek into your potential future here as the new brood. What did you think of that little nuance to the story? And was that intentional? Did you know you were going to be teaming with Gangrel at some point in the future? We we did not know we were going to be teaming with Gangrel, you know, at, at that point. But I, I can tell you this. I remember the King of the Ring a match that was a big deal for us, uh, for us and Edge and Christian, like it was beloved. And I feel like that was almost like a test in some ways. And we passed that and that that is almost like we had the stamp of approval to like really be utilized. Like we kind of made it and they, they were really proud of us from that match. I remember that match got like rated reviews in the back and I feel like it was short. It was it like was. very rushed. Yeah. How long was that? That match was, I can pull it up right here as I've got your entire cage match. <laughs> yeah. Going here. That was apologies here. We're on the fly. Um, well, well, I'll tell you this. That's also a match that we can look at in hindsight uh, mm-hmm. on an episode of this, but that match went four minutes and 49 seconds. Yeah. And I, and I, and I feel like initially I think we were told that was going to be on the pay-per-view and then I feel like it got bumped down to the pre-show. Yeah. Uh, but, but people love that match. And I remember the, the venue, the crowd reacted very strongly to us in the venue that day. Well, you were in North Carolina for that too. Oh, okay. I I didn't even remember that it was in North Carolina, but that, that is very cool. I, I know we got a great reaction. The office really were fond of myself and my brother and edge and Christian and also Michael and Gangrel, you know, just, both teams, they, they like that match a lot. And that, that is probably ultimately what gave us a green light to uh, ask for that best of series, which ultimately, hmm. you know, culminated in the uh, tag team ladder match. That, that match was a big point for us. I remember it was uh, very beloved by the company. And you can check out that tag team ladder match in episode one of the extreme life of Matt Hardy, wherever you get your podcast. Remember five star review. You never know. You might get a video or something signed <laughs> from Matt. Luis Mendez is getting that. That's good stuff right there. Uh, so, the July 4th edition of Sunday Night Heat, it's right after this pay-per-view. You guys lose clean in minutes to Kane and X-Pac. Yes. And about an hour later is the next week's Raw taping, and things are about to get weird. So this is very strange that you guys... Actually, it's not, John. It's it's not strange at all. Why is it not strange? It's not strange because they knew we were going to win the championships. Uh, they were going to build an opponent for us. You know, so like if we win the championships, then obviously Kane and X-Pac are someone who should get a title shot at some point because they had beaten us. So that's why they did that. But even if it's in such a decisive, quick manner, you don't think that in any way poses a challenge in building you guys as credible champions? It, it, it would be in this day and age, but also uh, they, they didn't, they weren't worried about Tom. I mean, like Tom 
wasn't really an issue then. And I feel like even the, the fans who were watching wrestling at that time, just the mentality of people who were big fans of the Attitude Era, Tom like wasn't a big deal. No. It was like win or lose, whatever. And they, they would that was a constant. Vince would always do that. Like before there were, you almost feel like, especially if they're kind of in the role of a heel, if mm-hmm. they're a bad guy, uh, there will be someone that will defeat this heel team rather decisively before they win a championship or the Hill competitor before they win a championship, because he's always thinking about building new competition for him. And I know specifically that's why they, they did that. Well, I'll tell you what, Kane and X-Pac were massively over uh, in this. And I always enjoyed their work as a team together. I thought they had pretty good chemistry and I liked watching the two of them, two great workers in their own right. So pretty cool. We, we got, we got to work them on house shows quite a bit and, I'll, I'll tell you, man, it, it was fun. And like Xbox is the guy who Jeff had that first match with when he started in WWE and kind of like, you know, his first match was very rough against Razor Ramon and they called him Keith Davis. And his second match was against Xbox, who we'd always gotten along good with him. I'll never forget on a house show we were in where Jeff ended up doing the Swanton Bond to Xbox. Uh, and after he rolled off of me, went to the opposite corner and like started doing his dance, whatever. And I've never, ever heard someone cuss someone out as loud and as rapid fire as X-Pog did, Jeff, he's just like, you stupid motherfucker, piece of shit, get back down here and cover me, you piece of shit, you dumb motherfucker, what the fuck are you doing, damn it, you piece of shit, motherfucker, cover him. And like, I'm sure everybody in the first three rows could hear this. And Jeff was like, <laughs> oh, you know, and like scurried back over. But like, X-Pog is one of the most passionate people I've ever been in the ring yeah. with. And uh, the, the fact that he did that and cursed him out, it was like also a great learning lesson as far as like, you know, whenever you hit a move, and it gets a certain reaction. There are times you should cover, you know, as opposed to wasting it. But that that's one of my my fondest memories of early X-Pac, too, like learning that on the fly, working him on a live event. Well, Sean Waltman just got cleared recently. He showed up at the big. Yeah. And he show. looks like a million bucks. He looks amazing. Yeah. Maybe there's another hearty Sean Waltman tangle in the future some point somewhere <laughs> down the line in some promotion that would be a lot of fun to see and maybe it'll go down just like that too my gut <laughs> says jeff's learned his lesson though i don't know i think uh sean's got a different temperament in yes, this day does. and age so he does. He, he's, he, he's doing, he great, has matured a lot. He's doing yeah. great and it's really awesome to see oh, he's he's the best man he's he's one of my favorites on july 5th next day it's raw you guys face the Acolytes, the APA, for the Tag Team Championship. And with the ref distracted by Michael getting into it with Farouk on the outside, Jeff hits Bradshaw with Michael's cane that he came out using. You hit a Tornado DDT off the top, and you guys win your first ever Tag Team Championship in WWE. You get out of Dodge real quick up to the top of the stage. You're hugging. I imagine even with the hectic nature of all this, it has to be a very special moment for you guys and maybe we can watch that match in depth at some point on this podcast, but it's chaos. There's some blurring of the lines between heel and baby face work. Cause there's a little cheating going on, but at the same time, it's kind of circumstantial. What do you make of this chaos here? That was your first tag team championship win. And, and how did Michael feel about it afterwards? I mean, it, for us, it was huge. It was, it was the realization of a childhood dream. I mean, that's all myself and my brother wanted was to be like the world tag team champions in the WWE one time, you know? So luckily we exceeded that many times over and we've done it in many different promotions, but, but that night was very special. It was also in Fayetteville, 
North Carolina, which is the closest big city nearest is the closest arena arena to us. So we had a ton of family and friends there and whatnot. And uh, we were, we were real hot at that time. And I, I know one of my, one of the funniest things about, about that match is just like, uh, you know, we do the deal where we break the cane over Bradshaw's head and there's a swing and DDT. It's like one, two, all oh, right after three, there's a kick out if you yes. can go back and watch it. And it's so funny because the acolytes were definitely going to look strong. And I do know this as well. Michael smartened us up because he had heard, because he was still kind of half ass in the office at that juncture. He had heard like two weeks earlier, 10 days, 14 days earlier that we were going to win the title. So that was the plan. And I am pretty sure they didn't tell the APA until like the day of, you know, at TV, because I don't think they wanted to tell them too early. They thought they might try and shut it down or whatever it may be. And we knew like if we were going to be in this match against them, they were going to make us work for it. And we knew they were going to lay it in. Like if we're going to beat these guys, especially we're guys who are just getting established, you know, really we'd been rebranded. We'd had this makeover and we got over pretty quickly, but you know, I'm sure they're thinking in their mind, like, are these guys really going to stay over? Are they going to be a big deal? Like we want to look strong in this deal. And they, they whipped our ass in that match without a doubt. And they made us earn it. And Bradshaw did that one, two, three kick out, you know, like he wasn't going to stay there or whatever. And our whole deal was to get out and celebrate on the ramp so that we wouldn't be near these big monsters. And that is exactly what we did. And I know Michael was proud of us. And still to this day, man, uh, whenever Michael, whenever Michael speaks to myself or Jeff, he'll say it all the time. Like he was our wrestling daddy. Like we learned so much from him, you know, like in some ways we were his kids and I almost do that same thing with private party. I joke about them all the time being my kids, you know, they're my two oldest kids as opposed to my actual genetic family, you know, and Michael did that with us. And we still oftentimes when we talk to him, we'll say, Hey, what's up wrestling daddy? How you doing, man? Uh, but he, he was very proud. He was very proud of us. And he knew that we came a long ways in a short amount of time. How much do you credit this win to Michael helping legitimize you guys as an act? Huge. I mean, without, without Michael loaning himself to us and, you know, us having the opportunity to, you know, if, if the company didn't decide to rebrand us and put us with Michael, I mean, we wouldn't have been in that scenario. So obviously Michael coming and just learning from him, me being able to sponge things up, uh, knowledge from him, tips, you know, psychology, I, it's, it was huge, hugely instrumental to us becoming who we ultimately became. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if that tag team, even if they made us over on our own, if we didn't have Michael's insight and his knowledge, I don't, I don't know if that tag team match happens. It probably doesn't. The, the history and, and future of the Hardy Boys looks very different if Michael Hayes isn't inserted into our lives and careers at that time. That's crazy because all things considered, it's a very short run that he has with you guys. But mm -hmm. you do take a big step from relative unknowns to now you're the tag team champions and you guys wrestle 13 matches as tag champs, including house shows. Yeah. One of which was a win at the sky dome against Kane and X-Pac, which I know it wasn't the only time you guys ran house shows in big stadiums, but it just seems like a, a lost relic of years past that that's even something you guys were able to do. Any memories from that string of matches or working big shows like that? No, you know, probably my most fond memory is when X-Pac 
cussed Jeff out while he was laying on the ring, you know, laying on the mat selling. And I feel like the whole arena heard him, but I guess they, I guess they didn't, but it was, it was a very good lesson that we learned there. I'll tell you my, my most fond memory of winning the titles. Uh, I remember we won the titles. We drove back home to our own house that night. And the next morning we were flying to do a house show. It was in New York. I want to say it's Albany. And I want to say we were flying in somewhere in New York city. And I remember we left the Hardy it was, compound. It was, it was White Plains, New York. Oh, there we go. White Plains is where it was. It wasn't Albany. So White Plains is correct. So we were flying to New York City. We did White Plains. And uh, whenever we got to the airport in Raleigh, I remember Michael said before we boarded, he said, oh, I said, I've got a treat for you guys. I've got a real treat. You guys earned it because you guys kicked ass last night. And congratulations on being the champion. He's like, oh, what do, what do you mean? What do you, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, I'm like a, you know, a billion mile you know, traveler when it comes to Delta or whatever, because he's always flown Delta out of Atlanta. He said, so I got you guys upgraded. There's a couple empty seats in first class. I got you guys upgraded. And I was like, I, I don't know, Michael, like, brother, we just won these titles. <laughs> I don't want to get in. You know, it's, it's okay. He said, no, 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 you deserve it. There's nobody in these seats. It's fine. It's fine. And then we go to get on the plane and we get in our seats, we do our thing. And then all of a sudden they're getting ready to close the door. They say, oh, it's going to be one second. We're a little delayed. There's someone who, uh, was having an issue and they made this flight at the last second. So they're getting on right now. And it was Glenn Jacobs Kane, and, and he'd had some sort of issue where travel delayed him and he just barely made the flight and he was coming through. They said, Oh, Glenn, you're not in first class. He says, well, I was, but I guess they gave away my seat. And as he's walking by Jeff and I are like respectively trying to get out of our seats and the guys were like holding us in the, in, in the seats. And uh, they knew the, uh, you know, the, the powers that be that were running the wrestlers court at that time, they knew that Michael was the one that put us in the seats and it was like a reward for actually winning the tag titles and like trying to work very hard and stuff like that. And we didn't necessarily, we didn't ask for it. We knew we almost didn't belong there at that juncture. So we did go to wrestlers court out of it. And I'll never forget how entertaining JBL was when he said, look, I'm going to tell you guys, you know, we're going to give you guys a bit of a hard time, but just make sure to buy a couple bottles of Jack Daniels and pay off the judge undertaker and everything will be fun. He said, but like, really, we're going to we're going to get Michael on this one because we know Michael's the one to put you guys up to it. And I was like, OK, just as he was sitting there, he said, ladies and gentlemen, he said, the Hardy boys are here now. And, you know, they must be two of the biggest stars in the entire company because now they're sitting first class. They've uh, won the World Tag Team Championships, and obviously they feel like they're the big deal. They told Kane he's a piece of shit, even though he's a former <laughs> world champion. He doesn't draw any money from the company, and he, he he's, he's, he's not a big man who is important because they just sent his ass to the they sent his ass to the back, sent his ass to coach. He said, "Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know these Hardy Boys are running rampant." He said, "It could happen to me. It could happen to any one of you." I've, I find them all guilty, <laughs> you know, whatever, such an entertaining deal. And then, you know, we ended up just doing our deal where we robbed the judge with Jack Daniels bottles and we were off the hook. But then I think Michael had to buy cane lunch for like a month. He had to buy his lunch for a month, like at different restaurants or whatever, because he took away his first class lunch that they were going to serve him on that flight. So that, that was a funny story that we went to wrestler's court after uh, winning the tag team titles because Michael got us bumped up to first and Kane came in at the very last minute and we tried to get out of our seats, but they held us in our seats. I think it was like maybe Bob Holly and, and Ron Simmons. Oh, you guys stay right here. You guys are good. You, oh, they you knew what they here. were doing. They knew what yeah, they, they, were they doing. knew exactly what they were doing. Of course, you know, so that, that it, it ended up being fun. And it was like, you know, they were teaching a lesson at the same time. Mm. Michael Hayes is a loser in wrestler's court. How about that? <laughs> 
<laughs> so that's something. Uh, well, you mentioned JBL. He and JBL, there's been a lot of uh, rumors over the years, some contentious relationship with that. Did, did you ever see any other examples of stuff like that with you, Michael? Uh, I mean, there may have been some, maybe like uh, old world class heat or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. I think Bradshaw was just starting. I, I I do remember when we had the handicap match. He's like, I can't wait to get my hands on Michael Hayes in the ring, mm-hmm. you know. So there there could have been. I don't know how serious it was because they obviously worked together and they got along okay. But you know, maybe 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 there was. Maybe it was oh. one of those things where Michael was the vet and uh, you know JBL felt slighted in some way, so he tried to get a little revenge on. Well, it gets us to fully loaded 1999. You have that three-on-two handicap match versus the Acolytes. It's a rematch for the titles. They win the titles by pinning Michael. What do you think of the idea to go with a handicap match here? I, I think there, I think the mindset behind it was just that myself and Jeff, we had started getting somewhat hot, and we were we were getting over. Like our reactions were pretty big on live events at this time and people were really starting to get behind us and i felt like this is a way of having us lose the titles but you know just just protecting also, you guys protecting you guys more i think i think it was meant to protect us mm-hmm. and then by beating michael it also eventually gave us a reason to turn on michael you know as well so i i think it was kind of like twofold that's my that's my take on it, you know, like looking back in hindsight now. Yeah. But I know definitely they, they wanted to protect us because, you know, we we were really getting great reactions during that time at, at live events. And then I also think they were planting a seed for us to eventually turn on Michael. This match goes nine minutes and 32 seconds uh, from the Wrestling Observer. He says Hayes pretty well teased a heel turn in this pre-match interview. He said the Hardy Boys did great spots in the match. They were tremendous, but Hayes and the Acolytes drug it down, dragged it down a little bit. Uh, they finished saw Hayes take a double-team powerbomb and get pinned, costing his team the titles two stars. Okay, so it feels like the writing is on the wall pretty suddenly here that your run with Michael Hayes could be coming to an end. Did you know at this point that that was going to be the case? And what do you make of the decision being made at this, as you like to say, this juncture that, that that's going to be the decree. I, I didn't know it was happening at that time. And I know, no, myself and, and Jeff, we were definitely like, we, we, we love being with Michael on TV. And I felt like it also gave us a big confidence boost knowing that he was there because we always had his insight. We always had his opinions and feedbacks. And, and he, even after we left Michael, I mean, he was always a guy that we would go bounce ideas off of. And he was notoriously famous for like helping us out in all our big matches, you know, and whatever they may be, you know, the first ever tag team ladder match and the tag tables match and all the TLC matches that whole series like we always pick michael's brain and he was always interactive and in, in all those things for not just myself and jeff but also edge and christian and the dudleys he he, he lend his he would lend his mind out to all three teams but be, being on the road with michael which was so funny once again when we found out we were going to split i remember he said i told you all when the hardies turn on michael ps hayes they will kill him <laughs> That was his thing over and over because he's like, you know, I just know these young guys who are real good kids or, you know, with Mike on <laughs> and he is uh, putting them through hell or whatever. But like, man, we just got so much out of it. We really yeah. did get so much out of it. Uh, going Which back even, to, go, ahead. go ahead. 
I was just going to say that it reminds me of a, a couple other stories. One thing that I was going to say with Michael, being on the road with him was such an experience. I remember there was a time where we wrestled in Ottawa and we had to go to Montreal for the next day. And it was like a monsoon. And I remember obviously myself uh, or Jeff was doing the driving. If someone was driving, it wasn't Michael. He was the one that got to sit back and chill, whatever. I remember we drove through these monsoons and Michael was trawled to shit that we were going to crash, like hydroplane, whatever. And I got us all the way to Montreal and it was good. And I remember he was so appreciative, like, oh my God, I can't believe you drove through all that rain like that. And then he had, he drank a bit once we got to the hotel and we were going to strategize, go over stuff again. And I remember he looked at Jeff, he said, you know, I'll watch you on those house shows. You think you're hot shit because you're like Michael Hayes. When I was a young kid, you're the good looking kid that all the girls want to bang. You know, you're the young, handsome stud and you think you're hot shit. Cause you can do that springboard. I'll tell you what, that ain't shit, man. I can do that springboard. Watch this. And he went over and like, tried to like spring. <laughs> he was, pretty drunk at this point, tried to spring up like on the air conditioner and like fell backwards, boom, and hit. And then as he got up, he's like, oh, I feel pretty tired. I think I'm going to lay down. And he slept on the floor. And that was the only time that myself and Jeff both got the double beds in the room. (laughs) So many good stories with him, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. But I want to circle back to the match real quick because you keep bringing up JBL. There's a rumor that Bradshaw said to you guys before the match that whenever Bradshaw is in the ring to make sure you tag Hayes in so that he could get some stiff shots in at him. And you did it just to avoid getting heat with JBL. Uh, is there any truth to that? Uh, I mean, I'm, I, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it is. I, I definitely know. He said like, you know, you know, make sure to get Michael in on this. And I, I, I know they were pretty aggressive when it came to Michael because they like ribbed each other all the time too. And JBL was always like the locker room enforcer then, you know, Undertaker was like, the mafia boss, but you know, JBL was the enforcer. So usually if whatever he said, if you're a young guy, you were going to roll with it. Let's take a time out here. And while we normally have a lot of fun on this show, this is a pretty serious topic, life insurance, specifically Goliath life insurance. Let me give you a pro tip. We're all going to die. So before you get a visit from the undertaker, think just for a second about what would happen if your family stopped having your income tomorrow with life insurance from goliathlife.com. What we're really talking about is protecting what you've worked so hard to provide for both you and more importantly, your family. You see, life insurance isn't about you. It's about those who matter the most to you. Sure. You do a great job taking care of them now, but who would do that if something awful happened to you? I just lost two friends in the last year and a half, one 42 with two kids, the other 46 who left behind a wife and three kids. Thank God they had insurance. And Hey, I hear you. Nobody wants to think or talk about life insurance, but think about this. You might not get in a car accident, but you have auto insurance. You might not get sick, but you have health insurance. So we'll protect our car and we'll even protect ourselves from like crazy medical bills. But will we protect our family? That's what life insurance means to me. Peace of mind. Goliathlife.com streamlines the life insurance purchase process by allowing you to get quotes from more than 20 carriers all at the same time and at the same place, goliathlife.com. You'll do a fast and easy application and have multiple quotes within minutes. And oh, by the way, goliathlife.com has solutions for every budget. And maybe best of all, you pick your terms and payments at goliathlife.com. Once you pick your price, you can start the online application immediately. And check this out. You can even schedule the medical exam to happen in your home. You don't even have to leave the house to do this. 
And yes, I have done this. They sent someone to my office. It was fast. It was easy. And it was unlike anything I expected. I got to skip the phone calls, the paperwork and the crazy invasive conversations, and even the multiple visits to the doctor's office that we all hate so much. Goliathlife.com makes buying life insurance simple. Goliathlife.com promises no hidden fees, no upsell, no hassle, hell, not even a phone call. Goliathlife.com is life insurance in your hands on your time. Get multiple quick quotes right now from the comfort of your own home and begin your application in a few easy clicks right now at goliathlife.com. So I think one of the most important things that you can possibly do is get a good night's sleep. And science tells us that the best way to achieve and maintain consistent deep sleep is by lowering core body temperature. Temperature controlled sleep, well, that restores testosterone levels, repairs muscles after a hard day's work, and improves cognitive function so you always start your day feeling sharp and alert. So I want to tell you about Chili Sleep. Now, Chili Sleep makes customizable climate controlled sleep solutions that help you improve your entire well being. Chili Sleep makes the Uller and Cube Sleep Systems hydropowered, temperature-controlled mattress toppers that fit over your existing mattress to provide your ideal sleep temperature. You ever feel uncomfortable at night because it's too cool or too hot? That is no longer a problem. These luxury mattress pads keep your bed at the perfect temperature for deep sleep, whether you sleep hot or you sleep cold. Now, these sleep systems are designed to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and give you the confidence and energy to power through your day no matter what stands in your way. Imagine waking up and not feeling tired. I know that seems like a crazy concept, but chilly sleep can very much help make that happen. For an extra layer of comfort, they also make the Chili Blanket, the only weighted blanket that can also be paired with a control unit for the ultimate sweat-free sleep. Now, if you know me and you've been following me for years, I'm always tweeting about it and putting on social, I do not sleep well. At least, I didn't sleep well until I started using Chili Sleep products. These things help you get comfortable. I'm always tossing and turning not anymore. So head over to chilisleep.com forward slash hardy to learn more and check out a special offer available exclusively for the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy podcast listeners and only for a limited time. That is chilisleep.com forward slash hardy to take advantage of our exclusive discount and wake up refreshed every single day. That's chili, C-H-I-L-I. So two nights later on a Sunday night heat taping, you defeat Funaki and Poppy Chulo, who's S.A. Rios, in a match that many consider to be one of the best TV matches of the year in WWE. It's oh. happened on Sunday night heat. You're getting over as pretty unique baby faces here, but there's also kind of this like underlining of tweener. And we know that you're about to head heel. What's your assessment on the way you were being presented at this point as it's becoming evident that you're going to split with Michael? Well, uh, we were we were happy with what we were doing because we, we were given an opportunity. We were given like a legit chance to carry the the world tag team titles, and and really, a lot of times in pro wrestling, people uh, you know are given the titles because the titles helped them. And at that point, we needed the titles. They like gave us credibility, and they gave us legitimacy. You know, like later on down the road, the Hardy Boys were so over as we've talked about this a little bit like in the TLC matches and stuff with Edge and Christian, like we didn't have to win them because we were so over. Like literally if we held the titles, we would be helping 
bring the equities of the titles up because we were almost so over we didn't need the titles. But then we certainly did. And they did wonders for us. And uh, I was talking with my brother about Michael Hayes. And I'll, I'll never forget, we were like on the road somewhere doing a, a live event. And I remember Michael coming to the room with coffee and sipping on it. He said, guys, I heard they want to break us up. We got to take a stand. You know, we got to take a stand. They're, they're going to break us up. We got to talk to Vince at TV. We got to talk to Vince at TV. And I remember like my, my mentality is like, I mean, I, I love being with you, but also too, like, I'm, I'm not going to go tell Vince McMahon, like, you know, <laughs> don't do this because like, I'm not comfortable to do that right now. You know, I'm, I'm not in that, I'm not in that type of role. We're very happy. We've gotten this opportunity. So like, ultimately we're going to do whatever they want us to do at that, at that juncture, as I say, you know, so like, uh, so I, I, I remember Michael was like, he was sad and it was kind of sad too. Whenever they, you know, ultimately said like, this is going to happen and you're going to split, you're going to turn on and beat them up. And this is what's happening. No, if ands or buts about it. And it, it was kind of sad. I mean, with us, we were probably nervous, like, Oh my God, like, is this going to change us now that we don't have Michael here as our, like, you know, our, our assistant or, you know, someone to tap into for knowledge and insight and psychology and whatnot, you know, but I, I feel like those weeks that we had with them were great learning lessons, you know, as far as like road life, <laughs> And wrestling psychology. So August 9th rolls around. Gangrel beats Christian with the short match. The Hardy Boys come out. You guys jump Christian. Edge makes the save, but Gangrel beats the crap out of Edge. Michael Hayes runs in to pull the Hardys off of Edge, but uh, then there's the turn. You guys drop him. Uh, Dave Meltzer and the Observer says you could hear pin drops when this turn happens. I feel like maybe part of the lack of reaction is because people were getting behind you guys as baby faces here. And now you're turning heel and you're dropping a popular historic pro wrestler here who is helping you guys that people got into. It just seems like it's a weird, unnecessary thing to do to me, Matt. Did you guys feel the same way after this thing went down? Well, I do remember Vince saying to all of us at one point during that time, he said, you know, Michael, thank you for everything you've done for the Hardys. He said, but for the Hardys to grow, they have to move past you, you know, with you but there, they you can't just go with another manager and Gangrel, though. Uh, I guess you could. I, I really feel like Vince wanted to make it like definitive, you know, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like, and I feel like there's sometimes where it is important to do that. And I, I almost feel like we need to do it in, in some capacity. And, and maybe we didn't do it in the perfect way. But like, I feel like having a definitive split was okay. I, I feel like it was, it, it worked for that situation. And, you know, in theory, we had still been booked like heels the whole while with Michael it was, Hayes. It was weird. It was like this Twitter well, kind of thing that was. It was, but, but also it was the attitude era where yeah. stuff was like that. But like, we were also two young guys who were very talented, who the people were actually excited that we got an opportunity. So even though we were in the slot of heels, we were also being cheered for because like we're these underdogs finally getting an opportunity and we're like, we achieved this level of success. So I feel like there were a lot of people who got behind us. And if you watch that match in Fedville against the APA, whenever we win that, we are definitely the baby faces in that, in that environment, you know, in that situation. So it, it was a weird deal. It was very attitude errorish where things were like, you know, not so black and white. There were a lot of shades of gray. So Michael then makes the transition off TV into backstage role. Uh, how quick did that transition happen? 
And what was your perspective on it as a talent? He's obviously someone that would continue to give input on your matches. We talked in episode one, he helped come up with the cartoon seesaw spot in the ladder match. Was that a natural transition for him? And how did he react to that change? I remember Michael was so excited and happy to like be on the road again and to be working with myself and Jeff. And I mean, we were too, man, but like, Whenever they told him they were going to take him off TV, we were going to turn on him, we were going to beat him up, and it was going to be the end of our relationship. And they had mentioned to him about working in more of an office role and like being, you know, interjecting himself into creative and being a producer. And I just remember telling Michael, like, oh my God, man, you're you're like so you think so out of the box and you have such a unique thought process and you're so good at this stuff. You can help so many people because you've helped us. And I remember telling him, I said, dude, you're going to be great at this job. Like you're, you're going to kill it. And he even told me later, like, he said, man, you're, you're really right. When you said that, like he was very appreciative of it because I'm sure he was second guessing himself too, because I feel like he is just someone who looks at himself as the talent because he always was, you know, he was, he was the talker. He was the the charisma guy. He was he was the head of the Freebirds. He was the brains behind the operation, you know. So he he loved being a talent and he loved being in front of the camera doing his thing. But I think once he really accepted the fact that you know I can help the next generations by giving them insight, by helping teach psychology, by teaching them how to think out of the box in different scenarios, especially tag matches. I mean, I think he really embraced that and he ran with it. And, you know, I was, I was super proud of how he rose up so quickly in the company in, in terms of like power and in terms of uh, being someone who would get their voice listened to. And we make this story come full circle a few months later, too. This came up on our Royal Rumble 2000 episode, but on January 21st, 2000, you and Jeff defeat Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy at an OPW event in Tulsa. So this is you guys facing the fabulous Freebirds. The Freebirds are on that Mount Rushmore of tag teams for you personally at this point. Yes. And there's them doing the job for you guys, the up and coming talent and on this random show in Oklahoma, right before you guys are not even right before you guys are in the middle of building all this momentum on national television. Right. How special was this match for you to have with him? And do you remember him saying anything to you? No, I mean, he, he worked really hard to set this up and he knew that we were going to be into it and, and he wanted to do this match in some capacity as well. And it was cool because we get, we, we met buddy. I remember, you know, talking to buddy Roberts whenever in Chicago, he'd come visit. And it was so cool because he like followed us and he watched us and he was like cheering us on, you know, because we were like carrying on the tradition of Michael Hayes and the Freebirds, and Terry as well. Terry was, he, he was pretty, pretty burned at this time from a mental aspect because he'd had a lot of issues. Uh, so mentally he wasn't at the top of his game by far. So it was a big communication. It was a little bit of a challenge to have this match with him, but we tried to keep it as simple as possible. And like looking back in hindsight, that match came out much better than anyone expected. I'm sure. But for us, it was what an honor. I, and just what a thrill to be able to actually wrestle in real time against the fabulous three birds. And especially being Michael PSAs, because we, you know, we had so much love for Michael. And it just, feels so funny to talk about because we opened this episode discussing that FTR and rock and roll express match. Yeah. And there's, it's like a parallel there. It's these two generational tag teams. Yeah. It was like, it was, it was literally a cross generational dream match. So cool, man. 
That's so cool that you guys had that moment. And that's the last time yeah. you're in the ring in any capacity with Michael Hayes, really. And uh, it's mm-hmm. wild to think that it was 22 years ago. So he's transitioning at this point into a backstage role. And he, he's become synonymous with some wildly creative stuff. And I say wildly because there is some wildness to it. But something that stood out to me was on the Broken Skull sessions that your brother had with Stone Cold Steve Austin. And he was talking to Steve and saying that, he was kind of the more quiet guy between you guys. And you were the one who was always pitching stuff, but Michael was the guy that he could always feel confident talking to and pitching ideas to. He didn't feel comfortable going to Vince. He would go to Michael instead and say, is this possible? Can we do this? And the barometer was how would Michael react to it? Uh, do you have any comments on that relationship between he and Jeff and how is it different in any way between your relationship with him? I mean, I, I am like that too. I would, I would lean on Michael before I would take an idea somewhere else because I, we just had, we have this great trust with Michael, a great bond with him. And it's still, it's one of those things about wrestling. When you become really, really close with someone, you may go years and years and years without seeing them or like talking to them on a regular basis. But when you work together again, it's just like same old, same old. And it's one of the most unique things about the wrestling business, I think. And I think for Jeff, because a lot of times he would think of really wild ideas, things out of the ordinary. And because Michael was such a guy of that essence, although I feel like Michael had a little more focused psychology into these things that were like out of the box. I feel like Jeff always felt comfortable that he could speak to Michael and he could share things with him. And if it wasn't good, Michael would end up telling him without insulting him or whatever, or Michael could put some sort of tweak on it that could make it actually something that maybe Vince McMahon and company would go for. So I, I know Jeff was always, Jeff always felt comfortable with Michael because we had that kind of bond with him. He also would go on to spend some time in the writer's chair, Penning Creative as the head of SmackDown in the mid 2000s. You're having your mm-hmm. run there around that time. What do you think of his time with the pen and, did you maybe get any heat at all? Like, because people know you're a Michael Hayes guy. So yeah. did people maybe be like, Oh, there's Matt trying to position himself a little bit with Michael at the head. No, I mean, no, but the funny thing is there were times where Michael would say like, if there was some other idea that they were coming up with or even something we had spoke about, he's like, that's probably better coming from you than me. Because people know it might be a little, you know, show a little favoritism towards the Hardys because everybody knows we're close. So that was always one thing. Sometimes even with us, it was a little trickier if Michael was in charge because, you know, he wouldn't go as hard for us because people would think he's playing favorites at that juncture. So it would be more up to us to kind of get it approved through Vince. And then he could pass it down to Michael and then we could make it a reality. So, so, so that was a little bit of a scenario. And I, I do remember telling him like, man, I told you, you're going to kill it at this. You're so good at this. Like, your thought process is so unique and so different and so out of the box. And, and you're never afraid to like go down a, a, a different path than, than it has been in the past, you know, and come up with new creative ideas. And I think he's great at that job, man. He always has been. He's been highly regarded for his finishes and creativity. Do you have any other specific examples that we may not know about that he directly contributed to? We talked about the seesaw spot in the ladder match. Anything yeah. else stand out to you that he maybe had a hand in? One thing that really stands out to me is uh, after both myself and Jeff, we'd been gone away from a while, gone, gone away for a while, and uh, we were working in TNA Impact at this juncture. Whenever uh, 
everything was starting to fall through there when Anthem had bought the company and Jeff Jarrett was coming back in and we had our differences and we were initially going to resign and stay with impact. And then we ended up hearing from Michael at some juncture. And I remember when he called me and he said, well, you know, this isn't like a house call. They just say hello and catch up with each other. I never thought I'd be making this call, but here I am making this call. Like um, Vince wanted me to reach out to you guys. And I know there's interest in you coming back to WWE. So uh, I I'm, I'm all down for it. If you guys are up for it, I want to put you in contact with Hunter and I'll, I'll have Paul give you a call and let's start talking about things. Cause Vince, Vince really wants you guys to come home now. And, uh, Michael was the first one that reached out to us wow. before we went back to WWE in 2017. And I'm sure that was a very strategic thing to do too, to have someone like him be your point of contact. Yeah, I, I I'm, I'm sure it was. And, uh, and in, in all actuality and in, in Truthfully, like just speaking to Michael was the perfect way too because he's someone that we feel comfortable with, that we feel like we can be honest with. You know, we don't have to like give political answers. We can just be honest and give blunt truths about whatever we're doing. That's really cool. Now, I I do want to bring this up because it's been talked about a lot by some people, Sean Waltman being one of them, that Michael tends and Man, cartoon seesaw, like you go up there, you shoot your way up there, you're gonna come back down. This big action thing, like there's some wildly dangerous stuff that has come out of his mouth when it comes to pitching spots. I interviewed Ricardo Rodriguez a few weeks ago, and he said to me that Michael used to come up with different ways to kill him every single week, and he loved it, he thought it was fun and funny. But there's been some criticism that him playing into this car crash style wrestling may have contributed to people like you and Jeff having these lingering injuries that have left you guys with battered and bruised bodies. Uh, Is that fair criticism at all to suggest that he's involved with uh, normalizing that car crash style in any way? I'm going to call bullshit on that one right from the jump. I mean, I think if someone comes up with these, crazy ideas about doing things. I mean, everything ends up being in the execution and no mm-hmm. one is, is forced to do any of this stuff. I mean, I, I, I give propers. I, I give props to Mike, Michael Hayes, because he does think out of the box because everything has been done in wrestling and you're just trying to find a new way to do things that have been done in some form before, you know? So like if he is thinking of something more intense, you know, he's also real good about trying to strategize things. And he would always want people to rehearse stuff before they would ever do it. So as far as him, you know, like being responsible for nagging injuries or doing crazy spots, whatever. I mean, guys in the business in this day and age are crazy enough and responsible enough for coming up with insane ideas and, and trying crazy stuff. I just, I take my hat off to Michael once again, for just changing thought process, especially being an older guy from a couple generations back who is willing to accept the new style and also that things have to be a little bigger, a little different, and also maybe car crashy to achieve success at some point, because I can promise you, if he does put together some sort of car crash in a match at the very beginning of that, he's going to try and go hard to enforce. There's a strong psychology behind it and a building process, you know, and, 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 and build to that because he'd say that the whole while, like a wrestling match is like having sex in some ways, you know, he said, you just don't go, with your wife and like stick it right in and like, boom, you know, you know, shoot your load. He said, you don't do that from the beginning. He said, you start low, you know, you kiss, you make out, you find, or you do, and you build your way up to that big finish. He said, a wrestling match is just like that, especially when you have plenty of time. And, and that's a great analogy for it. 
He is he is the best when it comes to wrestling psychology and especially changing over time. Michael is one of the best. Yeah. And very influential to the point where I'm curious if this had any influence on you. I was doing my research for this and I came across this quote uh-huh. from Edge and Christian on their podcast that they used to do. And they mentioned that you remember the House of Horrors match that happened between mm-hmm. Randy Orton and Bray Wyatt in WWE, which was yep. panned as one of the worst matches of the last 10 years in WWE. Uh, but they gave the indication that he may have actually come up with this concept years prior when we were talking about this feud with the three of you versus the brood. Right. And that they said that he came up with the concept of doing like a fun house style match with like two way mirrors and different rooms and that they're going to be like trap doors and that it was going to be kind of shot cinematically. And they hypothesized that you pulled influence from that in some of your thematic and movie like cinematic matches that you did with the broken character. Is there any truth to that? I'll be honest. Uh, I, I don't think I pulled from it, but I do remember Michael presenting some sort of idea like that, which was going almost going to be shot like a cinematic deal. And and until this conversation just came up recently, and I, I talked with Christian the other day actually about this, and uh, I, I'd almost forgotten about that, but I do remember him talking about some sort of match that would be like in a fun house. And there's like, you know, doors and traps and it's real crazy. And you guys are almost competing in this, which it is. And I think that once again shows how Michael thinks outside the box. He's really a pioneer when it comes to like going in different directions as far as wrestling goes and like not trying to do the same stuff over and over and over again. You always have to innovate and do different things. And he was always a a very innovative guy. One of the things I just wanted to say, which I know it became famous on Bruce Pritchard's podcast, something to wrestle with. <laughs> that was going to be my next question. So take yeah, it away. I mean, there, there was whenever we were doing the makeover, uh, Michael had an idea. He said, you know, this is a great look we got, you know, but now that we have some time to think about it, I, said, I think we need some rain jackets. Maybe he said, and this is after we'd done that mandatory stop to eat at a bar and he'd been drinking a little bit. Michael's gimmick was it was so good. He was such a creature of ritual. He always had a routine. Myself, him and Jeff, we would sit down at a restaurant. We would order food, myself and Jeff, we would eat. He would order his food, it would sit there. He would just drink during the whole while. We would talk wrestling, talk shop, talk bullshit, whatever. And then he would get his food to go every single night, you know, so that he could drink as much as possible on empty stomach, I'd guess. And then he would like bum a cigarette from someone sitting at the bar. That was what he did every single night. And after one of those nights where he'd been drinking, he got in in the car and he was going, you know, I was thinking we should get some ring jackets, like something different that's never been done before. Like, I got it. I got it. What if we got some damn ring jackets, some long trench coats, and they're all made of forks, knives, and spoons? We're like, whoa, what do you mean? He said, you know, get some trench coats made of forks, knives, and spoons. I mean, that was a real thing. I remember telling Bruce Pritchard that he came up with this wild idea after he'd been drinking for a while, and like Bruce lost it. And still, for the longest time ever, every time I'd run into Bruce, he said, hey, How about some ring jackets made of forks, knives, and spoons? And, uh, I mean, once again, (laughs) would that have been cool and crazy and different? Who knows? It might have got over huge. It had been very heavy to wear, though, with all that that hardware on it. What do you make of the whole doot, 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 and I got an ideal uh, persona (laughs) that has been created for Michael over the years through his tales and legends about him? 
it's funny. I mean, they're, they're very close. And I'm sure if Michael was running a podcast, he would have just as many points he could reference about Bruce as well. They, they could go back and forth making fun of one another, but, but it's just one of those things. Mike, Michael is a very outspoken, a very flamboyant, a very in your face personality. Like, you know, he doesn't back down. He doesn't, he doesn't bite his tongue for anyone. So obviously when you have someone that's like that, whenever they, you know, say an idea that is out of the norm and kind of wild, it is always going to come back to, to haunt them or always come back to be talked about for sure. Dude, 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 did he ever say dude, dude, dude to you? You ever hear that or no? I, I almost feel like that's something that kind of Bruce just inserted. Mm. I think he kind of like, uh, I can't, I think he kind of branded Michael with that. See, and it's not got over because boy, yeah. did it stick. <laughs> uh, so as, as we wrap up here on episode four, we always like to bridge that gap between the past and the present. And I think there is so right. much to learn from this short little run. The first thing that I think of is there has to be an immediate parallel, and you kind of brought it up before, but between what Michael did for you and what you're trying to do for the HFO and private party and all that. When this idea came about, was that an immediate callback for you that I can do what was done for me? I mean, that, that, that was immediately my mindset when I was talking about doing things with private party, you know, they, they actually grew up fans of the Hardy boys. We were their favorite team. And to be able to work with them, once again, almost the same scenario where they did all this cool acrobatic athletic stuff, you know, but they needed to, you know, work on their fundamentals more and also be more aggressive. They needed people in the first few rows to look at them and go like, hold up. Like, I know those guys are great athletes and they can do a lot of cool flips and a lot of cool moves, but like, I don't know they're starting to get tough now. Now they're throwing hands and throwing kicks. Like I wouldn't want to fight them because they'd whip my ass. You know, that's what I tried to instill in those guys, you know, to make sure that they look physical and just tighten up their game from a, from a realistic standpoint. What did Michael do that other aspiring managers can take away from? I mean, I think Michael was just blessed with so much valuable psychology and also ring experience uh, and he just has lived such an insane, crazy life. And he just back in the territories, they would be on the road and drive for hours and hours and hours and hours and talk shop. I mean, he's just so knowledgeable. And then on top of that, he had the type of brain and the personality that was able to think out of the box and and not just necessarily go back to the same old norms. He would try and do things differently and he would find ways to take a concept that has been done a hundred times and on time 101, tweak it a little bit and do it differently. I think that's Michael's gift to pro wrestling. And my final question for you, Matt, what is the trajectory of the Hardy Boys career without Michael Hayes? It, very, totally different. Totally different. Uh, without Michael Hayes, uh, not only are the Hardy Boys very different, but also Edge and Christian are very different because he worked hand in hand with all of us, you know, um, I would imagine at some juncture in WWE, we would have been given an opportunity to, to be pushed and utilized. But if we didn't have someone with the, the knowledge and passion of a Michael P.S. Hayes kind of steering our ship and guiding us and coaching us during this time, I'm not sure we'd have, we, we would have ended up as successful as we ultimately were. You know, and I can also say that as well for Edge and Christian, because we worked against one another all the time and we were on the road, but Michael was always there like coaching all of us. And he was really a, a huge influence on all four of us, especially, 
You know, there, there were times too, like we would do that when we were on the road together. A lot of times the six of us, myself, Jeff, Michael Hayes, uh, Gangrel and Edge and Christian, we would like, we would eat together, you know, after shows or whatever, we're on the road, you know, we, we had that, that tide of a bond, that, that, that strong connection actually just pops in my head. Now that I'm saying that we were in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania at an Outback one night and we'd been eating and obviously Outback, they have a bar. They have alcohol. So Michael was okay eating there. And the six of us were eating. And we had left just a few minutes before they had. As we paid, we'd finished eating. They were paying. They were coming out. And I remember as we came out to our car, Michael recognized the rental car they were driving. And I want to say, he's like, yeah. He said, I got to go. And he, 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 he pulled it out and he started peeing on their car. And then as he was peeing on the car, I think Gangrel came out and said, hey, what are you doing, Michael? You know, you know, that's our car. And he's like, you got a problem with it? And he said, yeah, I got a problem with you trying to pee on our tire like a dog. And Michael said, boom, and headbutted Gangrel. And he's like, oh, Gangrel headbutted him back. And then they got into like a full-fledged headbutt contest. This was actually done, a reenactment on one of the Edge and Christian shows. And they were both like bleeding. Their heads were split open. And then eventually Gangrel came with a rapid fire succession of headbutts. Boom, 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 boom. And they almost got to the point where they did this outback that is out by the airport in Pittsburgh is like on a hill. They started fighting and doing headbutts so much. And they, they went so far away from the parking lot. They almost both fell off the mountain, like off the hill we were on. And then the young kids, Matt, Jeff, Adam, and Jay had to control the old timers and reel them back in and get them away in their car, you know, but that was, a, that was an incident that Michael incited, obviously, but man, what 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 a great time we had with him when the hardies turn on michael ps hayes they will kill him did you kill him when you guys turned he said he said my punches were a lot stiffer than jeff's okay. but my punches have always been a lot stiffer than jeff's historically anyway so it, it, i didn't do it out of spite no we we didn't kill him and i would always take care of michael and really i will i can't stress this enough michael has been so influential to our success and us becoming who we are, I really don't think we would have became who we are without his influence early in our career. And when it comes to Michael Hayes, no one has ever taught me more about the pro wrestling business. I have learned my greatest lessons for him, and I will always, uh, I will always respect him and love him for all of that. And when you guys do the little knuckles in the ring too, right? That's uh, a yeah, the, the names. Yeah. The, the names. names, you know, that was a free bird thing, which he kind of granted us, which was cool. And he's like, you know, look, that was the thing with the birds. You know, whenever we do names, names, he said, you know, if we're like out in a club or we're in a restaurant, me and the birds, if like, you know, like, you know, all the chicks were like on us and all the fans were on us. We couldn't even get each other. We didn't even have to touch. We could just go like names across the room, which was so cool. And he, he like gave that to us. He said, all right, that can be your guest thing. Now, you know, I've even passed, on a private party we still hit it often right before match that's awesome that's awesome well it seems like you have a great relationship to this day with him just whatever you do man if the dude's got a piss just stay away there's <laughs> urine and michael hayes I, I didn't realize there was this tie-in with that but uh stay well away. i i, oh, I hate on. to break it to you john and all the wrestling universe but i think michael has finally matured and he's graduated out of peeing like that at a kindergarten he just pees like a normal man now in the <laughs> urinal i'm sorry to tell the world you'll never get to experience we're in 2022 and michael hayes has matured how about that wild he's still kicking ass in the industry so that's pretty cool he's the best all it's said and done oh man what a fun episode that was what a fun <laughs> episode and next week we're going to take a step back even further in time because we are talking about omega 
What can Omega. people expect when we talk about Omega? And we're not talking Kenny, Matt. No, 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 no. We're talking about the original Omega, uh, which was my promotion that I ran, uh, independent promotion based in North Carolina, based out of the Hardy Compound. And Omega, the acronym standed for the Organization of Modern Extreme Grappling Arts. And it was a project that myself and my brother and Shane Helms and Jason Arnold and Shannon Moore and Marty Garner and so many other guys were involved in. And so many guys out of the contracts with uh, with the top companies. And it was just a lot of guys who didn't have a lot of experience, but were very passionate about what they did. And I'm very excited to do a deep dive into Omega and, and tell you guys all the stories about our, our uh, early infantile journeys in pro wrestling. Yes. And it's been one of our most requested episodes so far from our fans. Don't forget. You can tweet us every single day. Whenever you want at Matt Hardy pod, let us know what you're thinking of the pod. Take those screenshots, five-star reviews, send them to us. We love seeing them and spread the good word about the podcast. And we're also spreading the good word about the house Hardy Twitch, Matt. I know your lovely yeah. wife, Rebby is crushing it over there. I hate to break it to anyone watching on YouTube, but the, that decor behind you is not yours. Uh, it's yeah. actually belonging to your wife. But what can people expect over on the house Hardy Twitch stream? If you are interested in reality, you know, and especially the real life of Matt Hardy, that is basically what our Twitch is about. You know, we talk about current, uh, you know, current, times, uh, current activities, what is happening in my professional career, as well as what is happening at home in my family life. And it's very entertaining. Not only do we, you know, my wife and kids play video games sometimes, but I talk wrestling shopping here. I talk about behind the scenes details. I talk about what I did on AEW the previous week, and it's very much up to date and it's a lot of fun. And if there's anything going on in current pop culture, I usually, uh, I usually give my opinion on it. Yeah, you Twitch is up, very fun. You end up singing sometimes. You wear a baby mask every now and then. <laughs> it's terrifying. But so, sometimes fans play cards that make me eat mustard. And everyone knows a Matt fact, the most famous Matt fact is Matt strongly dislikes mustard. That's not cool at all. It's not cool at all. But I know how much your wife loves it. She's great at it. She's really, really good at it. And it's totally something that you should check out over on Twitch. And you should check out episode five of The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy next week, wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, YouTube, <laughs> subscribe. You're never going to miss it. Matt, anything else you'd like to add this week? Uh, once again, I want to thank everyone that has supported us in this project. And uh, I can't stress enough. If you enjoy the podcast, tell a friend. Tell two friends and keep spreading the word because we want the extreme life of Matt Hardy to be something that every pro wrestling fan checks out. And thank you guys that have tuned in and have listened or watched on my YouTube. And thank you guys for leaving those five-star ratings. We greatly, greatly appreciate that because without you, there would be no us. Things have been broken. The words have been spoken. We'll see you on episode five of the extreme life of Matt Hardy. <laughs>